is the passage from Charleston, South Carolina, to the city of New York, in the fine packet ship Independence. We were to sail on the 15th of the month, which was of June, weather permitting, and on the 14th I went on board to arrange some matters in my stateroom. I found that we were to have a great many passengers, including a more than usual number of ladies. On the list were several of my acquaintances, and among other names, I was rejoiced to see that of Mr. Cornelius Wyatt, a young artist, for whom I entertained feelings of warm friendship. He had been with me, a fellow student, at the university, where we were very much together. He had the ordinary temperament of genius, and was a compound of misanthropy, sensibility, and enthusiasm. To these qualities he united the warmest and truest heart which ever beat in a human bosom. I observed that his name was carded upon three staterooms, and upon again referring to the list of passengers, I found that he had engaged passage for himself, wife, and two sisters, his own. The staterooms were sufficiently roomy, and each had two berths, one above the other, and these berths, to be sure, were so exceedingly narrow as to be insufficient for more than one person, Still, I could not comprehend why there were three staterooms for these four persons. I was just at that epoch, in one of those moody frames of mind, which makes a man abnormally inquisitive about trifles, and I confess with shame that I busied myself in a variety of ill-bred and preposterous conjectures about this matter of the supernumerary stateroom. It was no business of mine, to be sure, but with nonetheless pertinacity, did I occupy myself in attempts to resolve the enigma? At last I reached a conclusion which wrought in me great wonder. Why I had not arrived at it before. It's a servant, of course, I said. What a fool I am, not sooner to have thought of so obvious a solution. And then I again repaired to the list. But here I saw distinctly that no servant was to come with the party, although in fact it had been the original design to bring one, for the words and a servant, had been first written and then overscored. Oh, yes, yes, extra baggage to be sure, I said to myself. Something he wished to put in the hold, something to be kept under his own eye. Ah, I have it, a painting or so. And this is what he's been bargaining about with Nicolino, the Italian businessman. This idea satisfied me, and I dismissed my curiosity for the nonce. Wyatt's two sisters I knew very well the most amiable and clever girls they were. His wife he had newly married, and had never yet seen her, and in his usual style of enthusiasm, he described her as of surpassing beauty, wit, and accomplishment. I was therefore quite anxious to make her acquaintance. On the day in which I visited the ship, it was the 14th, Wyatt and party were also to visit it, so the captain informed me, and I waited on board an hour longer than I had designed in the hope of being presented to the bride. But then an apology came. Mrs. W. was a little indisposed, and would decline coming on board until tomorrow, at the hour of sailing. The morrow having arrived, I was going from my hotel to the wharf, when Captain Hardy met me, and said that, owing to circumstances, a stupid but convenient phrase, he rather thought the independence would not sail for a day or two, and when all was ready, he would send up and let me know. This I thought strange, for there was a stiff southerly breeze, 
whereas the circumstances were not forthcoming, although I pumped for them with much perseverance, I had nothing to do but return home and digest my impatience at leisure. I did not receive the expected message from the captain for nearly a week. It came at length, however, and I immediately went on board. The ship was crowded with passengers, and everything was in the bustle attendant upon making sail. Wyatt's party arrived in about ten minutes after myself. There were the two sisters, the bride, and the artist, the latter in one of his customary fits of moody misanthropy. I was too well used to these, however, to pay them any special attention. He didn't even introduce me to his wife, this courtesy devolving perforce upon his sister Marion, a very sweet and intelligent girl, who, in a few hurried words, made us acquainted. Mrs. Wyatt had been closely veiled, and when she raised her veil, in acknowledging my bow, I confess that I was profoundly astonished. I should have been much more so, however, had not long experience advised me not to trust with too implicit a reliance the enthusiastic descriptions of my friend the artist when indulging in comments upon the loveliness of women. When beauty was the theme, I well knew with what facility he soared into the regions of the purely ideal. The truth is, I could not help but regard Mrs. Wyatt as a decidedly plain-looking woman, if not positively ugly. She was not, I think, very far from it. She was dressed, however, in exquisite taste, and then I had no doubt that she had captivated my friend's heart by the more enduring graces of the intellect and soul. She said very few words, and passed at once into her stateroom with Mr. Wyatt. My old inquisitiveness now returned. There was no servant. That was a settled point. I looked, therefore, for the extra baggage. After some delay, a cart arrived at the wharf with an oblong pine box, which was everything that seemed to be expected. Immediately upon its arrival, we made sail, and in a short time were safely over the bar and standing out to sea. The box in question was, as I say, oblong. It was about six feet in length by two and a half in breadth. I observed it attentively and liked to be precise. Now this shape was peculiar, and no sooner had I seen it than I took credit to myself for the accuracy of my guessing. I had reached the conclusion, it will be remembered, that the extra baggage of my friend, the artist, would prove to be pictures, or at least a picture, for I knew he'd been for several weeks in conference with Michelino. Now here was a box which from its shape could possibly contain nothing in the world but a copy of Leonardo's Last Supper and a copy of this very last supper, done by Rubin the Younger at Florence, I had known for some time to be in the possession of Nicolino. This point, therefore, I considered as sufficiently settled. I chuckled excessively when I thought of my acumen. It was the first time I'd ever known Wyatt to keep from me any of his artistical secrets. But here he evidently intended to steal a match upon me, and smuggle a fine picture to New York under my very nose expecting me to know nothing of the matter. I resolved to quiz him well, now and hereafter. One thing, however, annoyed me not a little. The box did not go into the extra stateroom. It was deposited in Wyatt's own, and there too it remained, occupying very nearly the whole of the floor, no doubt to the exceeding discomfort of the artist and his wife. This the more especially, as the tar paint in which it was lettered, in sprawling capitals, emitted a strong and disagreeable, and to my fancy, a peculiarly 
disgusting odor. On the lid were painted the words, Mrs. Adelaide Curtis, Albany, New York, charge of Cornelius Wyatt, Esquire, this side up, to be handled with care. Now I was aware that Mrs. Adelaide Curtis of Albany was the artist's wife's mother, but then I looked upon the whole address as a mystification, intended especially for myself. I made up my mind, of course, that the box and contents would never go farther north than the studio of my misanthropic friend in Chambers Street, New York. For the first three or four days we had fine weather, although the wind was dead ahead, having chopped round to the northward, immediately upon our losing sight of the coast. The passengers were consequently in high spirits, and disposed to be rather social. I must accept, however, Wyatt and his sisters, who behaved stiffly, and I couldn't help thinking uncourteously to the rest of the party. Wyatt's conduct I did not so much regard. He was gloomy even beyond his usual habit. In fact, he was morose. But in him I was prepared for eccentricity. For the sisters, however, I could make no excuse. They secluded themselves in their staterooms during the greater part of the passage, and absolutely refused, although I repeatedly urged them, to hold communication with any person on board. And Mrs. White herself was far more agreeable. That is to say, she was chatty, and to be chatty is no slight recommendation at sea. She became excessively intimate with most of the ladies, and to my profound astonishment, evinced no equivocal disposition to coquette with the men. She amused us all very much. I say amused, and scarcely know how to explain myself. The truth is, I soon found out that Mrs. W. was far oftener laughed at than with. The gentlemen said little about her, but the ladies, in a little while, pronounced her a good-hearted thing, rather indifferent-looking, totally uneducated, and decidedly vulgar. The great wonder was how Wyatt had been entrapped into such a match. Wealth was the general solution, but this I knew to be no solution at all, for Wyatt had told me that she neither brought him a dollar nor had any expectations from any source whatsoever. He had married, he said, for love, and for love only, and his bride was far more than worthy of his love. When I thought of these expressions on the part of my friend, I confess that I felt indescribably...